altar call and stare at you. <laughs> but we're keeping you in prayer. I'm glad to see you tonight. So, All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Lord willing, we should be able to finish up the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. I think next I'm probably going to go to Romans, uh, but we'll see. Don't hold me to that yet. Uh, Romans is a great book, man, if you start uh, looking at the world you're living in. And uh, what God has to say about it, it's a great book. Um, There's a lot of false doctrines that come out of Romans. And that's part of why I want to get to it, because there's some passages in there that can be a little bit confusing. Especially in the hands of somebody who wants to teach you false doctrine, they major on that stuff. And uh, so once you study it out in light of the Bible and and, uh, compare Scripture with Scripture, it gets really, really clear. And uh, what I'm thinking about is, is what we've been talking about in 2 Corinthians is Paul's dealing with the Corinthian church. And uh, he saw them in the first book. He got after them about some sin problems that they had, uh, fleshly sin problems, and they responded. And they got that stuff right. And then he got into the second book, and after they'd gotten the fleshly stuff right, and there had been some growth there and some traction there in their Christian life, then the devil decides he's going to take a different route at them. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking about where we're at as a church. And, man, I've watched a lot of you grow, and I don't mean that patronizingly. I know that you've, I hope and pray that you'd say the same about me. But I've seen God do some great stuff in your lives. And uh, you start getting over some of the early stuff as a Christian, some of the basic stuff, some of the fleshly stuff that can be really tough to get over. Uh, but you get a grip on it, and you get close to God, and you get in the Bible, and you get praying, and... God's Spirit starts filling you up a little bit, and you start getting that stuff squared away and right. And then it's easy to drop your guard and think, oh, I got this stuff squared away. I'm good. I'm never going back to all that stuff. And the devil says, fine, I got something better for you. And he sends false teachers in there to start getting after them about their doctrine. And the reason he wants to do that and get you off on false doctrine is because he wants to stop you from growing in Jesus Christ. Once you're saved, the devil cannot get your soul. Uh, We'll maybe touch on that a little bit tonight in 2 Corinthians 13. But once you're saved, your soul is eternally secure. Uh, He washed away your sin, past, present, and future. When you trust Jesus Christ by faith, you're born again. Uh, To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on His name, which were born, not of the will of men, nor the will of flesh, but of God. So the day you're born again, your sins are washed away, and you're not going to hell. Period. The end of the discussion. You can live like hell And not go to hell because he forgave all your sins. So what the devil realizes is once you get saved, if he can keep you hooked on the sins of the flesh, he can keep you from drawing closer to Jesus Christ. He can keep you grieving and quenching the Spirit of God. And he can keep you from actually making the forward progress you need to make. But the thing about the sins of the flesh is is that they're pretty obvious. Uh, Most anybody with any amount of conscience recognizes that this is wrong and and has somewhat of an awareness to stop it. Talking to a lost man just today, and he was talking about how uh, we have to, you know, there's a a part of our conscious awareness that recognizes we need to rise above and be better than all of that. And I know where he's getting some of that stuff from. It's psychology. It's a particular conservative psychologist who's an absolute devil who's pretending now that he's coming to faith in God and faith in Jesus and all this stuff, but he's not, he's not coming out and telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's just saying, I didn't used to believe in God, but now I do. And preachers are in pulpits all over this country quoting this jerk and preaching him. And he's a tool of the devil. 
Um, so that's what he's quoting. You know, you got to be a better person. You got to kind of rise above. Well, when you get saved, there's, there's certain things in you instinctively God put in your conscience that you know are right and wrong. But when you're lost, it's a little easier to imbibe in them. Once you're saved, that struggle begins and the Spirit of God's in you and that thing intensifies. So when you get the victory over the sins of the flesh, the devil sees, all right, well, they're getting somewhere. He's, he's listening to the Spirit of God. I'm saying all this on purpose. This is part of my introduction for, uh, for chapter 13. I'm not just ranting right now. So the devil recognizes you're learning to tune into the Spirit of God. You're learning to die to yourself and follow God's Spirit. It, it's pretty simple. Uh, I know we talk about following the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, but it's not rocket science. You crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts, and you live as God would have you to live. And when the devil sees you beginning to do that, and then gaining an interest in the things of God, an interest in the Bible, uh, church is filling up on Wednesday night when we're not preaching or anything like that. We're going verse by verse through the Bible and teaching the Bible, and you come here on a Wednesday night to sit there when you're tired, and you probably would have rather stayed on your couch, but you came anyways to learn the Bible. That's got to be the only thing you're here for. There is no youth programs going on tonight. There's a nursery for the little ones. And the rest of you mama's got to struggle with your kids and teach them to sit still. And you've got to be coming for the right reason. Well, the devil don't like that. So what he'll do is he'll start sending in false teachers and get you kind of messed up on your doctrine. He'll try to get you on the wrong Bibles. He'll try to get you off track on doctrine like Calvinism. Or like, or like some of the charismatic movement or, or whatever else might come up. There's a whole lot of them out there now. Uh, this, this, this thing where the church has replaced Israel. Romans deals with that. Romans deals with Calvinism. And so I think it's really important for us to get into Romans because I think it's where you're at spiritually. We've seen the devil in the early days of this church try to send in all kinds of false teachers to combat the Bible teaching that we know God would have us to be doing. And don't kid me, he's gotten more subtle about it. I don't think the threat is gone at all. I think it's just way more subtle. You know where it is now? It's right in a little device in your hands. You start getting interested in Bible doctrine and start looking this stuff up, and you can tune into just about any kind of spirit out there and start learning any kind of doctrine that's out there. And these guys are brilliant a lot of times. They will just absolutely razzle-dazzle you with how brilliant they are. Paul's been going through this defense in 2 Corinthians of himself because those false teachers had come into the church and had said Paul's weak and his bodily presence is weak, his speech is contemptible. They'd even made insinuation that he's probably not even saved, which we'll see in 2 Corinthians 13. And they began undermining him, saying, well, he writes real tough, but in person he won't back it up. And so Paul actually let him have it in this letter, and he's wrapping up the letter now in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Now watch it. He'd already been there twice, and he's going to show up a third time. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. You know what he's doing right there? He's quoting Deuteronomy 19:15. You know what Paul was? Paul was a Bible preacher. You know how you check the preacher? When a preacher says, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at verse number 1, and then starts showing you those things, doesn't mind it when you ask him questions. Listen, if you're being a, a jerk, <laughs> I just picked a nice phrase. See, I'm maturing with age. If you're being an idiot, that was me being nice, jerk and idiot. Those are upgrades from what I had go through my mind then okay, that's one thing. But if you're honestly asking me a genuine Bible question, I love those. 
Why? Because I got nothing to hide. My goal is to show you what God has to say. We're not here manipulating you. Something is wrong when they don't want you to open the Bible. Something is wrong when they pull a verse out and they begin telling you what it means, but they don't show you other verses to compare to that verse. Actually make sure that you see what that thing is teaching and that that teaching is balanced out according to the Word of God. They'll get on a hobby horse. Listen, we'll get into one of them tonight because it's in the text. The reason some guys get on hobby horses is deeper than you might think. We'll get into it in just a little bit. But he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So what he's doing is he's saying, compare what I do to the Word of God. And he's giving them Old Testament Bible in the New Testament. That's good preaching and teaching. You know, the way to know the preacher's on the level, it has nothing to do with, you know, the bubble being in the middle. That's, that's a, it's a joke. My dad used to say, you know, the preacher's on the level when the bubble's in the middle. I get sick of preachers joking about a chicken graveyard. We preachers, we all like to eat. You know how you know a guy's on the level? When he opens up the Bible and shows you what he's teaching his Bible and compares Scripture to Scripture. Look at verse 2. I told you before and, tell, and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare you. Now the second time he talks about in verse number 2 is Acts 20 verses 2 and 3. And he warns them, what he's telling them here is he's telling them to get right before he shows up the third time. Because he's saying, when I come back, if I come the third time, I will not spare you. What Paul's doing is he's begging these people to get things right before he shows up. You know what you see here in the Apostle Paul and taught in the New Testament? You're taught church discipline. You know what you don't have nowadays in churches anymore? You don't have church discipline that goes on. I mean, literally, you can go to evangelical churches that claim to be preaching the gospel, like salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and they will have an absolutely everything goes mentality. I mean, everything goes, like transvestites in church, like, like regular attending transvestites as an active part of the fellowship at church, and that's okay. Listen, if a lost person comes in here, I, I'm, I'm not going to make them a target. I want to see them saved. But if you think you're in good standing and good fellowship with this church and a member of this church, and you're living like hell like that, you lost your mind. You've got to understand that there's an expectation that God puts on a preacher to make sure that he's doing things according to the Word of God. That does not mean that everybody in my church is sinless. I have always had smokers as an active part of my church. I have always had people that struggle with alcohol as a part of my church. I've always had people on every range of the spiritual growth spectrum as part of my church. I'm not talking about like if you're a sinner, the expectation is you've got to have all these things perfect or you're out of here. There's a difference between somebody that's struggling and trying to get the victory and needing help and keeping that thing between him and God and maybe the preacher to get some help. And somebody that's bragging about it and inviting people to go out to the bar on Friday night and inviting people over for, for, to smoke some dope together and fornicating and being all about their sin and yet wanting to be in church on Sunday morning like everything's great between them and Jesus. That's a problem. There has to be some level of expectation in the church. 
Paul said, listen, if I want you to get right now, I'm sending you this letter. I'm begging you to get things straightened up before I get there. Because when I get there, you're going to see that these loud mouths that are saying, I won't back it up in person. They are wrong. I will not spare you. Whoa. Well, where are the preachers like that today? Listen, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you his goal here. I want to say this. You know what I appreciate about this church? I don't really feel like I have to get that way. I think y'all are trying. And that's a blessing. But I'll guarantee you this much. We've done it before and we would do it again. It's happened maybe about three times in the history of this church. Where somebody has gotten to be such a problem. And they won't get it right. And they post it all over the internet. And they flaunt it in the face of the church where I, you got to push me to that point. You understand that? Because I'm not like, I'm not this big, heavy, heavy. I don't like just axing people and cutting heads off and running them off and church discipline overactive. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I want to give people time. I want people to grow. But there has come to points and there will be more if we continue and the church grows. It'll happen again in the future where eventually I got to say, I need to talk to you. You know, what you, you know what I do? I first talk to them. I want to give them a chance to recognize it and get it right. But you know what I've had? Well, it's not wrong. How can you say it's wrong? And Jesus turned the water to wine, and you need to get out of my business. I'm like, I'm not asking. I'm not in your business. You're posting your business all over the place, and you're spreading your business around the church. So other people have come to me saying, Preacher, is this okay? Is this an example we put up in front of our kids? Now I'm talking crazy, aren't I? Like, Really? I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Well, I do. You know why I picked Dan and Ashley to be the youth pastor and youth pastor's wife? It's on our website. We got them added. Because I watched the way they conducted themselves in front of my little girls when they were dating and engaged. And I appreciated the way they acted in front of my little girls, the example that they set. And that was when back then they weren't even married yet. I put a, I put a target on them and started watching them because I knew God was going to bless us sooner or later and we'd need a youth pastor. And I thought, I wonder if that's him. God, is that him? Because, see, I don't pick them because I want to pick them. I don't pick them because I like them. I don't pick them because it's my preference. It's got to be God's leadership. I appreciated his standard he set. Don't you? I think that's something that's expected of all of us. Paul's telling them, please get it right because when I show up, I won't, I won't pull a punch, man. I will tell you the truth. I promise. Verse 3, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. So what they're doing is they're trying to, well, are you sure Paul's really the right one? We need proof. He says, you, see, you seek a proof of Christ speaking in you, in me? Now watch it, which to you word is we is not weak, but is mighty in you. Well, wait a second. They said his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Their complaint was in bodily presence, Paul was weak. He wasn't very forceful. He, he probably wasn't, you know, uh, he probably didn't preach, you know, where he stomped his foot and pounded on the pulpit and raised his voice much, to be honest with you. According to what we can tell and the accusations that were made and what we talked about in 1 Corinthians and the culture that was going on in Corinth and the way they like speeches and all that stuff, what we can tell by Paul and by what they're saying about him is that he was probably a very boring preacher. He was more than likely very monotonous. But he was really good at writing. <laughs> you speak a proof of Christ speaking in me? 
but which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. He's like, wait a second. You're looking for proof that Christ is speaking in me. But when I showed up, you weren't even saved. Now you're saved. God's done a work in you. God's changed you. I showed you what you were doing wrong and you got it right. And God's blessing you for getting it right. I mean, really, you know, you know what drives me nuts? If Paul's this weak and this frail and this unimportant, why was he such a target? You know what cracks me up is when these jerkweeds, excuse me, jerkweeds still want to go after Dr. Ruckman. He is dead. I hear rarely, I hear people criticize Dr. Lentz. He's dead. He's still a threat to you. Why would you go after a dead man? Because he's a non-threat. Because he's such a cult leader. Because he had such crazy, weird beliefs. Like you, you Google that stuff and you find out these whack jobs that write this stuff. They don't even know what they're talking about. And they make stuff up and put it out there. And everyone, oh, I read it on the internet. That means it's true. Aggravates me to no end. If Paul's so weak, why were all these false teachers coming in there making a target out of Paul? He obviously wasn't weak. Why was the whole church stirred up about him? He obviously wasn't weak. But when they look at him, judging as a human, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a funny thing how God works. Let me, let me just say something. I'll just show you my humanity here for a second. All right? I listen to some guys preach. And to be honest with you, a lot of times I think I don't even think the guy's called to preach. And then I have to sit back and ask myself, do I say that because God's not using him to speak to me or anybody else? Nobody's getting fed? Or do I say that because I don't like his style? Because I think he has a weak style. Because maybe I just don't like a guy's style and maybe he's actually not a great preacher. But that is what God likes to choose and use sometimes. So the judgment is not whether or not you like Paul's style. The judgment is not whether or not you're entertained by the preacher. The judgment is, did I get fed by that preacher? Did I get something out of the Bible? Does that have an application to my life? Is the Spirit of God speaking to me? That's the judgment. It's not the style. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Ain't it? <laughs> You're a lost man, hears the gospel, and they think, you guys are crazy. Somebody tried to pass a track to that guy on last Friday night, and the guy said, I don't need that, I'm intelligent. Thank you very much. I'm not, I'm stupid. I've, I should have said something like that, I probably will next time. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's what God thinks of wisdom and mighty things. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God's calling them out. Where are you, man? Hey, smart guy, where are you? Hey, scribe, where are you? Hey, big debater, Mr. Debater on the big debate stage, where are you? You know what God will do? God will make a fool out of you. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So you really want to lose God altogether? Go to a nice highfalutin, ritzy, expensive, uh, top-of-the-line, most educated college. And you'll come out of there believing the wackiest things. 
You guys know what the Krishnas believe? They're whacked out. Sitting right behind us, as soon as we start preaching, they set up camp, start beating the bongo drums and doing their mantras, and then the girls got up and started dancing their weird dances and all this stuff, and mocking us and praising Krishna, mocking the Lord and praising Krishna. Not one person looked at them and gave them a dirty look. Not one person thought there was anything about them that was peculiar at all. But one guy at a time preached for 10 minutes, we preached for an hour, and tried to get, hey, can I give you a gospel track, and held up scripture signs, and everything under the sun was coming at us. <laughs> you want to see the f most stupid things in the world? They believe God's in everything, and everything's in God, and we're all gods, and all this kind of crazy. Where's your authority for any of that? Where's your science for any of that? Oh, with them, pro they're probably the next doctor going to be cutting on you, you know, brain surgeons, U of M students. You ever seen anything more wacky than the wisdom of this world? Now watch it. For that, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> to save them that believe. You know what drove them crazy in Bible college? A highfalutin Bible college? Well, it's not the act of preaching that's foolish. It's the message that's foolish. I disagree. I think the message is foolish to the world, right? But it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I just know that the highfalutin preachers, the scholars, don't want to look like a fool. They want you to know about all their credentials. They don't want to look like a Paul. They all talk about being Pauline ministries, Pauline, Pauline. <laughs> Let me see your scars. Let me see who makes fun of you. Let me see who run you off. Let me see how many times you've been cussed out preaching. You ain't Pauline, man. You're walking around, strutting around like you're a big shot because in the originals and the Greek and the Hebrew, and there's nothing Pauline about you. Where did you read one time in Paul's books where he bragged about the Hebrew? He's talking to them right where they are, right where they live, right with what they're dealing with. He talks to them about fornication, drunkenness, revelings, uh, 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 envy, strife, division. He goes right at them about gossip. He goes straight at them right at where they live and applies the cross and Bible doctrine to the whole thing with deep doctrine. But Paul is like on the, the, the normal human level. It's the fact that they don't like to look like a fool that they try to say that's the foolishness of the message. To save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom, wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block. Under the Greeks foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, watch it. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It didn't say not any. It just said not many. Well, I'm not a good speaker. Okay, did God call you to preach? <laughs> what difference does it make if you're not good at it? Did God call you to be a celebrity or did God call you to preach? Well, I'm not real smart. Okay, so what difference does that make? Enroll in Bible school and finish Bible school. Well, I don't get good grades, so get bad grades, but enroll in Bible school and finish. If God called you, God chooses weak things. Well, I don't have a lot of money, so what? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. He wants your heart. God doesn't care about all that stuff. It didn't say not any. It just said not many. Not many mighty, not after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
I'm not very smart. Good. Get in your Bible. Walk with God. Pray. Learn your Bible. Learn God and witness to everybody. And when a guy says, well, I got a PhD, say, so? What's that mean? Piled higher and deeper or what? <laughs> Don't let them intimidate you. Get a hold of God. God will use you to confound them. Man, it is so fun. I mean, it just tickles me like as a 70-something-year-old guy who's a doctor in this area that I've been witnessing to for a while. And he just, he just comes after me, boy. And I, just, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I said, Doc, you're smart. Tell me this. And then hit him with something. God will just give it to you, man. And it's just, well, well, you know, uh, well, you know, well, uh, okay, so answer this then for me. And I say, Doc, you're not answering my question. I'll answer that in a second, but we're chasing a rabbit here. What about the question I just asked you? Uh, um, uh, 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 so much fun. You know why? It's because I'm not a doctor. It's because he probably has an IQ of maybe 20, 30, or 40 points higher than me. And because I stand there while he's talking, and I'm like, God, help me. God, get him. God, get him. God, help me. God, get him. God, get him. God, help me. And God's like, I got you, boy. Oh, he's so confident. You got no idea how unconfident I really am. I've just learned some stuff about him and about how he works. A great God, man. He chosen the foolish things to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Back to Second Corinthians 13. So you seek a proof of Christ in Paul. Well, you can't glory in nothing you're looking at, so it makes him an easy target for carnal people and for men that know how to strut around like they're something big and special and make themselves look like they got something over on him. And it made people that are simple, easy targets for those wolves. But Paul's saying the proof is in you. Verse 4, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. What happened when you got saved? <laughs> you threw yourself at the mercy of the court, didn't you? You ran to the foot of your cross and you threw yourself as weak as you could be down before God and said, please save my soul. You were weak in Jesus Christ. And what happens? But ye shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, verse 5. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate, but I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Alright, so great verse right here. Here's the thing. Some will teach you that you can lose your salvation. Look at how they'll spin it to confuse your head. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye lost your salvation. That's what they'll tell you that means. And if I just teach you that from that verse without running references, couldn't you be like, oh yeah, reprobate. Well, what's a reprobate? Reprobate mind. First Romans chapter 1, a reprobate mind. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Oh, I heard a preacher say that once you have a reprobate mind, people with a reprobate mind can't be saved. If you're a homosexual, you can't get saved. And preachers actually preach and teach that doctrine. And there's some deeper reasons why they get a bitterness towards homosexuality. 
and why people buy into that when they hear that being preached before you beat up on people too hard. Uh, there are sometimes some very good reasons why people bite at that doctrine and run with it. I'll just leave it at that for the sake of miscompany and discomfort. <laughs> but I just live in a very real world. Now, what is that thing talking about? First of all, let's define some stuff. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Well, okay, so automatically assuming that that means that the faith means salvation is a jump. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The faith can have to do with more than just salvation. It can have to do with establishment and the truth and the doctrines that are taught according to the Bible. Those doctrines are being undermined by the false teachers in Corinth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me show you. Uh, look at verse 10. 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from what? Oh, they erred from it. They were in the faith. They're saved. And what happened is they loved money. So they wind up out of church because they love money. Uh, preachers get that one real bad. They get the green lead. You know, God's using them somewhere, but they're not getting paid that much. And somebody else calls and they get, well, they get a better salary over there and benefits and all the rest of that stuff. And so I'm going to pack up and go take this other church. Well, if God didn't lead you there, you just erred. Why the green lead? A lot of Christians do that. When you start getting serious about God and you get in church and you start growing, it'll be shocking how quick a promotion will come that'll require you to be there on Sunday. It's demonic. It's shocking how many times I've seen it over the years. It's heartbreaking. And well, I really need the money. I'll bet you do. Why don't you put God first and trust God and let God bring the money later? Because God does pay. He just doesn't pay on Friday. And if you get a forward, most of the time it's the devil. God lets, you, God lets you prove yourself first nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, God will have a man prove himself before God rewards him. Motives. Look down in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so called. The Bible's not against science, it's against false science, science that actually opposes science. Like a big bang happened and it came from nowhere and then everything just evolved. It's unscientific. It's, it's just completely unscientific. So you oppose that stuff. Which some professing have erred concerning what? Oh. He's saying, Timothy, keep the truths given to you. Why? Avoid profane and vain babblings. Avoid these false teachers that always want to talk about what ifs and, well, have you ever looked at it this way? And has anybody ever taught you about this? And, well, what if, they, what if we're really wrong about that? And, and all that stuff, you know, all the stuff on the Internet and all the rest of that. He says, avoid that stuff. Why? Because some professing this stuff have erred from the faith. They err concerning the faith. That's not losing their salvation. It means they fell from what they believed. They at one point knew the truth and now they don't anymore. They're getting off track. Look at another passage. Go to Jude chapter 3. It's demonic is what it is. Jude chapter 3. Jude verse 3. See, last time I bragged about getting it right, and so the Lord had to humble me a little bit there. Jude verse 3. Jude then revelation. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, uh, exhort you that, ye con that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
Well, something we got to fight for. What do we got to fight for? Earnestly contend for it. What is it? It's the faith. It's more than just your salvation. Look down at Jude uh, 20, uh, verses 20 through 25. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy... How do you do it? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. You've got to get some help from God in discerning when you need to be kind and loving and compassionate to somebody. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. You've got to get discernment from God when you bring the boom down. Paul had it. Paul had it. He said, when I come, I won't spare you. Would you that I come to you in a rod or in the spirit of meekness? He knew when it was time to ramp it up, and he knew when it was time to back it off. And he could tell who he was dealing with, when, and what church he was dealing with, and the spirit that was going on there. He was following God's leadership. And what he's exhorting them here is to build themselves up in the faith. Now unto him, verse 24, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. See that? Keep you from falling. It's from the faith. Want to keep you in fellowship with Jesus Christ, keep you in the truth. Go back over to 2 Corinthians 13. Except ye be reprobates, right? Know ye not your own selves how that Christ Jesus is in you. Now, two very legitimate applications for this. If a man's not saved, Christ Jesus is not in him. You do understand that, right? <laughs> And if somebody's sitting in church hearing the truth, 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 and they're a part of the Corinthian church, they're under Paul's teachings, but they don't realize that the Lord's not in them? You mean somebody can think they're saved and not be? Yes. He said, you're reprobate if that's the case. The other thing that absolutely can happen, and I will show you by running some references, is as a saved man, a born-again man, you can become reprobate. Now, what this is going to do is going to blow out of the water this stupid doctrine that these guys say, that if you have a reprobate mind, you can't get saved. That is not true. A saved man can have a reprobate mind after salvation by erring from the faith. A saved man can do everything a lost man can do. A saved man can become a heroin addict, a crackhead, a murderer, a robber, a rapist, a homosexual, a transvestite. Any, a born-again man and woman can do anything a lost person can do. Now, I know that's an extreme statement as some people just can't handle it, but it's Bible. You can fall away. If the devil can't get your soul, he will do everything he can to get your life. And if you start getting victory over your sin, he'll come after you on doctrine. And then if he can't get at you there, he knows he's got a problem, right? Well, how do you stay safe? You better stay in the book. I'm going to show you here in a second. Watch this. What is reprobate according to the Bible? Let me show you first of all, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you that when they tell you that a homosexual can't get saved, they've absolutely lost their minds. And I want you to know, I just want to say this just in case. Homosexuality according to God is an abomination. It's gross, it's disgusting, it's perverted, it's wrong, and it's wicked. Do you understand that? Okay, is that clear? Okay. That being said, 
to say homosexuals can't get saved is insane. It's wrong. Like the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from most sins except those. And who are you to be the judge over whether or not the blood of Jesus Christ can wash somebody of that sin? If a man look at a woman and lust after her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. You ever hated somebody? You murderer? Uh, well, I mean, I don't want to get too gross, but you ever, um, you ever see stuff on TV when you're watching movies and you have pleasure in them murdering people and doing drugs and committing adultery and committing fornication and you have pleasure in watching that stuff? When you, you know what God said? Not only them to do it, but them that have pleasure in it in Romans. So I just wonder exactly from the mindset of a holy God, just exactly how much better we are than other sinners. Did I tell you it's an abomination, it's wicked, and it's gross, it's disgusting, and it's wrong before God? It's a whole other level of disgusting. It, i got to say this, because you're in a day and age that's like, well, you know, they can do what they want, but I don't know. Not in church, man, not according to this Bible. Yes, God did burn up cities for that stuff and drown the world out for that stuff, and God still finds it to be an abomination. But Jesus Christ will save them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a spiritual kingdom. I don't have time tonight to drive that down. That's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not talking about his salvation. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. What is that? <laughs> nor abusers of themselves with mankind. What do you think that is? nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Again, that's a spiritual kingdom. If you don't know that, see me later and I can show you. That's, that's, that's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You ever see saved people that are absolutely miserable? Watch this. Watch verse 11. Look at that. And such were some of you. In Corinth? Oh yeah, in Corinth. Homosexuality and the whole nine yards. Prostitutes up there in the temples. Oh yeah. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. <laughs> oh, what are you going to do with that? Jack leg preacher that says homosexuals can't get saved. You know, it's Westboro nutty stuff. What is reprobate? Go back to Jeremiah chapter 6. Them guys were used to the devil, man. A real street preacher gets out there and wants to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ and they get spit on and stuff thrown at them because they think you're Westboro. Jeremiah chapter 6, look at verse 30. You watch guys like that. You listen to me. You watch guys like that. You watch them over the years and you wait and see what happens. I'll leave it at that. Just, just remember that. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 30. What's reprobate? Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath done what? Alright, so you got a connection between reprobate and God rejecting. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. There's your professors. 
and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible beasts, uh, corruptible man, and to, bird beasts, to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this God, cause God gave them up to, unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which is meat. What the news media won't tell you and all that stuff is that when it first came out, AIDS was not autoimmune deficiency, it was GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. That's what it was called when it first came out. But they won't tell you that now. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, see that? They knew Him. They didn't want to retain Him. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God gives up their mind. There's a threefold given up, which we'll go through later in Romans, but you see God gives them up in their flesh, God gives them up in their mind, and God gives them up in their spirit. That means God says, all right, I'm done messing with you. It doesn't mean they can't get saved. It means God says, I'm, I'm done fighting with you. My spirit shall not always strive with man, Genesis 6, I think it is. God says, I'm done pushing back on you. I've worked on you long enough. I've showed you long enough. You don't want to hear me. You're not listening to me. You're going after all the stuff you shouldn't go after. I'm not pushing back on you anymore. I'm done. That's what it is to be reprobate, Titus chapter 1. Now, I want to bring this full circle in just a second. Go to Titus chapter 1. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, Titus. I'm doing that for me, not you. <laughs> Titus chapter 1, look at verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work. Reprobate. God's just let them go. They don't even know how to do good works. Uh, look at one more. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds... Reprobate concerning what? That's a scary thought. You know what reprobate means? Go back to 2 Corinthians 13. Reprobate. Re-probate. It's probation. Again, God gave them a try. God gave them a try. God gave them a try. And they kept failing the probation. So God gives them up. God quits messing with them. Now, have I not told you God gives everybody in the world two witnesses? At a minimum, right? Creation and conscience. And I says, if your lost loved ones have rejected creation and conscience, God is done and perfectly righteous to say, I'm done and leave it alone. And they can be damned to hell eternally by rejecting creation and conscience. And God's just. 
when they did not want to retain God in their knowledge. They rejected the obvious facts of real science and God's handiwork in the world around them. And they violated their conscience, violated their conscience, violated their conscience, violated their conscience to the point where they think their sin's cool and they're proud of it and they've flaunted in everybody's face and they talk openly about it and they've complete, their minds completely reprobate concerning truth. Right? God didn't give them two warnings and be fair to let them go. But nothing in the Bible says that once they're reprobate, they can't get saved. So, you walk on the scene. And now you don't have to witness to them. You don't have to. If you don't want to witness, don't. If somebody is really looking for truth and they're responding to conscience and responding to creation, God will send somebody else to them. Do you do understand that, right? God will make sure they get the truth for the next step. But I want to witness to them. I want to be that one. So I'm just going to not know who's who and I'm not going to pretend I do know who's who. I'm just going to witness to everybody I get a chance to witness to. Some of them are reprobate. Some of them are flagrant and in your face about their sin, and they don't feel a conviction about it anymore. But the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. You ever stop and pray for a lost loved one that's rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected? You better keep praying because maybe God's Spirit will give them another chance because you're praying for them. When He has a right to say, I'm good. I've dealt with them enough. I'm not dealing with them anymore. You keep witnessing to them. You never know what God will do. So, reprobate means this, not enduring proof or trial, not standard purity or fineness, disallowed, rejected, abandoned in sin, lost to virtue or grace. It's like the prodigal son. To disapprove with, de- with, with detestation or marks of extreme dislike. God's like, I am angry with the wicked every day. I hate that filthiness. I'm, I don't like it. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I? Oops. God says, I'm sick of it. Now, I don't want to be that guy. Go back to 2 Corinthians 13. We'll be done quick. I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Well, they were accusing him of being lost. And Paul said, I'm not lost. You know what I don't want? What Paul's afraid of here, he's afraid that these people are going to start getting pulled away from the faith and the things they once knew they're going to forget. Getting ready to, Lord willing, to get my master's degree and I've got to memorize two chapters. Two chapters of scripture. And I thought, well, no big deal. I pretty much have both those already memorized. But it's been a long time since I've gone over them. And I started going over them, and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's been a little while. You know what happens when you don't use it? Verse 7, Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I pray to God that you do no evil. I want you guys to do right. And not because it makes me look good when you do right. I don't ever want to become this pastor that worries about how my church makes me look. Didn't I just get done telling you church discipline is still important? And that there's a standard we should hold for one another and for the kids watching us and all the rest of that stuff and our Christian testimony? Yes, there is a standard we should hold. But I don't ever want my motive in trying to get you to do right to be that I'm worried about what some other preacher is going to say or how you make me look. 
When you get when preachers get in that place, they start pushing people to do what they want them to do rather than letting people grow in God's way and in God's will and in God's timing and letting them be where they're at and work their way through till they figure it out. Paul said, listen, not that we should be approved. I'm not telling you that I want you to do right because of my testimony. I want you to do right that you should do that which is honest and do right for right's sake, though we be as reprobates. You know how many preachers, literally, I'm sorry to say this, do you know how many preachers have messed up and it just rattles people's faith? You know what you should do? You should do right no matter what some other preacher did at some point. They ain't no, exa- they ain't no excuses. You young people, if your parents wind up someday backsliding on God, I don't, I don't think any of them are going to. I pray to God they don't. But if your parents wind up backsliding on God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I want you to do right because it's right, no matter what. For you can do nothing against, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. That's why Paul said, uh, 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 woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I think it's 1 Corinthians 9, 16. We don't have time to go there because I want to point one, one thing, one other thing out to you that I want to focus on for a second. So Paul's saying, God's got me boxed in, man. I'm telling you the truth and I'm not trying to say I'm Paul by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm telling you the truth right now. If I resigned this church and went back to secular work, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure of one thing, God will be done with me. I'm sure of that. I didn't say I'll lose my salvation. I'd say in my relationship with him, I am sure he'd be done with me at a minimum. Done. I would wind up, probably wind up a drunk or a dopehead. A functional one, making money. But I am 100% sure God will be done with me. And I honestly am I'm probably about 99% sure God would kill me. I'm, I'm not just making that up. I mean, I, I got two or three witnesses on it in my personal life where God almost did. That's just me. That's just, I'm not saying that happened to you or anything like that. I'm just saying that's me. I'm 100% sure what I'm doing and what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And boy, I want to give you the truth. I'm obsessed with truth. I'm obsessed with this Bible. I'm obsessed with doing the best I can to give you the truth and help you grow in Jesus Christ. I'm not here to do anything against the truth. I'm for the truth. Look at verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. This is the guy that said, I'll very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though The more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. So I'll wear myself out, make myself sick, Burn the candle at both ends if it helps strengthen you. That's a pastor's heart, man. That's a Christian heart. And this also we wish, look at it, even your perfection. Two verses. How do you you wind up perfected? I'm not going to take you to Ephesians chapter 4 because we talked about that multiple times. That's what the Lord put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, right? Now, now don't forget, we're talking about you growing and the devil attacking you on false doctrine. Once you get past the fleshly stuff, then the devil starts coming after you on false doctrine. We're talking about erring from the faith and becoming reprobate in your mind where you forget everything you've learned. God's dealt with you and dealt with you and dealt with you, but you quench the spirit, quench the spirit, grieve the spirit, vex the spirit to the point where he's in you, but he stops messing with you. That is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to a Christian. Save people. So backslidden that like they don't, they don't even, they get to where, I mean, 
I'm not, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I might be saved. I, I just be honest, I haven't seen it in so long or looked at it in so I don't really remember. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I might be, yeah. I mean, I'll, I've talked to them that at one point were pretty solid and now we're like, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I mean, like, uh, are they saved or not? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not God, but I really think some of them actually were and just got to a point where they went so they grieved the spirit of God, vexed the spirit of God, quenched the spirit of God till God finally says, I'm done messing with you. I'll see you at the judgment seat of Christ. Enjoy your life. Give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. And God backs right off and lets the devil have them. Now, you telling me I'm undoctrinal and telling you this? You know it's Bible. And you know it's Bible for the church. A saved person becoming reprobate? I think so. I think a saved person being given over to a reprobate mind while God just says, I'm done. What a scary thought, boy. Do not quench your conscience. Do not vex the Spirit of God. Do not refuse to do what he tells you to do. If you will stay sensitive to God's Holy Spirit and keep following God's Spirit, you will grow and you'll be safe. And you'll be safe from these guys that will want to pull you away into false doctrine. Go over with me quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're talking about how to, how to be perfected. I want to grow, right? I mean, don't you want to grow spiritually? <laughs> I don't want to be the same I was yesterday, and I certainly don't want to lose what I've gained. Because you can lose what you've gained. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse number 15. Well, look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Watch it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly furnished in all good works. You know what you need to be perfected? That's what Paul said he's trying to do. He said, even this all, all we also we wish, even your perfection. You know how you get there? What we're doing tonight. Keep doing it. Keep coming when you don't feel like it. Keep reading your Bible when you don't feel like it. Keep listening to preaching when you don't feel like it. Stay faithful. Why? God will use it to sharpen your conscience and to teach you the truth and to perfect you and grow you spiritually. Let me show you another one. Uh, you're not going to like this one, but go over to 1 Peter. We'll come back to, to uh, 2 Corinthians after this and wrap it up. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 10. You're not going to like this. That this is one of the things that the devil uses to get you out and that God will use to perfect you. And then it's all up to you how you respond to it, which way it goes. 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. How? I like the last part of that. After that, you have what? <laughs> really? You want to know why you go through hard times, Christian? Because the devil wants to get you out, and God wants to strengthen you. 
I'm talking about normal, real, unspiritual disasters of life. I'm talking about other people sinning and breaking your heart. I'm talking about, you know, letters from the IRS and, you know, debt and getting fired, you know, when it's not your fault and not being a lazy bum, you know. Like, I'm talking about, like, trials. What the, well, the devil wants to get you out, get you mad at God, get you away from the faith, get you to stop producing that fruit. And God wants to perfect you. So he'll let those things hit you. Haven't you ever noticed when that stuff hits you? Start paying attention. You start coming to church and then something, something crazy happens. You start deciding you're going to be more faithful and get here on Wednesday nights and then something crazy happens. God's trying to perfect you. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and the devil wants you out. And Paul's goal, Paul's goal for this church, he said, we, we wish your perfection. I want to see you grow. Verse 10. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So he's saying, we want to see you perfected, we want to see you growing. So I'm writing these things before I get there to give you time to get it right. So that when I come, this is what I started to say to you earlier. I, I want to be nice. I want to use what God's given me to encourage you and to help you and to be a blessing to you. I want to be able to honestly say some complimentary stuff. I want to encourage you. I don't want to have to be ripping your face off when I get there. So I wrote this ahead of time, hoping that you'll read it and get right so that when I come, we can have a great exchange between us because both ways, both ways, whether I have to rip your face off or I come being sweet, either way, that's my rule that God has given me and in both ways, I can be right with God as a preacher. <laughs> People say it all the time, I just don't think a preacher should talk like that. Yeah? That's, that's when a rebel just first met a real preacher. I just don't know. How could you be a preacher? I had somebody call me up and say that to me years ago. You call yourself a preacher! Yes, I do. That idiot had no idea I was fixing to walk into a special meeting, and they called my phone up and just absolutely called me everything that they could call me a saved person, saying I couldn't be a preacher because I said this, that, and the other thing. Oh, I ruffled somebody's feathers. The devil tried to use that. I was younger back then and tried to use that to get me all rattled, distracted before I stepped in the pulpit to preach. Paul's saying I could use this power that the Lord's given me one of two ways. And it's up to you how I use it. That's what he's saying. Verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Where's the comfort come from? We talked about the perfection already. Trials and the Word of God. Where's the comfort come from? John 14, 15, 16. That's the Holy Spirit. Be perfect. The Word of God. Trials. Good comfort. The Holy Spirit. Of one mind. What mind is that? The mind of Christ. And if you got those things, what do you do? You live in peace. Hey, folks, listen. We have a peaceful church. Thank God for that. Respect that. Love that. Individually defend that. And what I mean by individually is don't be the one to rattle it up. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. 
<laughs> I want that, don't you? Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'll take a handshake. Thank you. <laughs> that ain't the culture around here. It was back then, so don't be weird. Amen. All the saints salute you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, one, and the love of God, two, and the communion of the Holy Ghost, three, and these three are one. Be with you all. Amen. Great verse on the Trinity. And that wraps up Second Corinthians. Probably Romans next time. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you tonight. Pray that you'd help us, Father, to keep you first. Protect us, Lord, from the false doctrines that want to come in. And help us, God, not to be resisting, vexing, quenching, grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And help us to have a sensitive conscience towards you, Father. Uh, not to become reprobate in our mind. Uh, Lord, I think the worst thing that you could ever do is quit talking to me. I need to hear from you. I want the God of love and peace to be with me. I want the God of love and peace to be with these people. I pray you'd help us, God, be merciful and gracious to us. Strengthen our church. Teach us your words. Give us a heart for the truth. Help us, Lord, this week to be good witnesses. And We ask you to bless our services Sunday. Meet with us and help us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, guys, you're dismissed.